Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Resilient Health Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Darren Ingalls, and my guest today you guys are really going to enjoy. Her name is Marcel Pick, and she is a faculty member for the Institute for Functional Medicine. She is a, an experienced OBGYN nurse practitioner who actually, you guys probably know Dr. Christian Northrup, uh, who's written several books and been all over the media. Uh, she actually helped her open the Women to Women Clinic in Maine many years ago. We won't say when. <laughs> we won't. <laughs> and, and, and Marcel lectures all over the place. You've seen her on PBS, The Dr. Oz Show, numerous publications, and she's written several books, including Is It Me or My Adrenals? I want to talk a little bit about that today. So Marcel Pick, thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here. The more we can get the word out, the better. So, you know, as I mentioned in the intro, you know, you wrote this book called, Is It Me or My Adrenals? And I think it's one of these things, and certainly in the conventional medicine world, really gets dismissed. You know, it doesn't exist. It's not a real entity, you know. But I'm curious to know kind of what prompted you to, you know, write about this topic, because I know it's been kind of a controversial thing in the conventional world. Well, you know, it, it's really interesting because if we look at anything in general, we have extremes, like we have something called Cushing syndrome, which is way too much cortisol, and we have Addison's. And very few people really have that. They're life-threatening situations. They really need to be attended to. But there's so many people in that bell-shaped curve, especially with the amount of stress that we have in our culture now. You know, from the, the pandemic to the wars to the inflation to everything, people have an enormous amount of stress. And I saw that early on in my career, that nobody was really addressing the fact that we were really starting to see that science showed that we really did have health problems associated with cortisol. So if we back up a little bit, cortisol is essential for us to be alive. We can't live without cortisol. So a little bit of stress is really important. We can't live without it. The problem is the chronic stress that goes on. And our cholesterol usually makes our sick hormones. Well, guess what? If we have too much stress, it bypasses that and it makes cortisol instead. And years ago, when I first wrote the book, we had science. I had, oh my God, 700 citations showing there was a connection between problems with stress and cortisol and health problems. Now we have enormous information showing us that that chronic stress is an issue. But the reason I wrote the book was more than that. And it was because I saw people coming back in my office. I would treat their adrenals. I would suggest them lifestyle changes. And they would be back in my office six months to a year later. And what I talk about in the book is if we have chronic issues in which we, we are negative thinking that we do, we are blaming other people, we are angry all the time, we have childhood events, you know, something called the ACE score, adverse childhood events in our childhood that are not understood by us, that causes our behavior to be quite different as adults, and that causes more cortisol. So, and what the beauty is, we can do something about it. We can change, we can understand it, we can actually make big changes. But if you don't understand it, that can actually eat away at you. And that causes cortisol to go up. Well, okay, so what's the big deal? Well, here's the big deal. It causes horrible hormonal dysregulation for men and women. It causes thyroid dysregulation. It causes increased autoimmune issues. It creates increased immune issues. It causes digestive issues. And it increases, believe it or not, if you've had a history of cancer metastatic changes. So we can no longer say, 
you know, eh, stress happens, just deal with it. Or, you know, you had a lot of trauma, you know, just get over it. It doesn't work that way. And it does very much affect our cortisol level. So it behooves us to understand what are we stressed about and what do we need to do? Nutrients are important. Dietary change is important. If you've got adrenal issues, don't exercise a lot. But that doesn't change what created the stress to begin with. And certainly disease can do that too. Lyme certainly can, even COVID and post-COVID syndrome. Of course, that can affect your adrenals. But also the stress that we carry inside. That's the biggest issue that I saw over and over and over again. Yeah, I've always been surprised why endocrinologists especially have been so quick to dismiss this sort of idea of chronic stress. You know, d- despite we've got mounds of research around it, that's like, again, unless you have one of the extreme adrenal issues, it doesn't exist. And I have to laugh too, you know, uh, being a former medical technologist and I worked in a lab, the reference range in which we give cortisol to be, quote, normal is enormous. And I'm like, why can we have such a wide extreme of something that probably should be more tightly regulated? And I think it just represents, again, when you do a a reference range, you're just looking at the population. It's not really telling you what's normal. It's just telling you what exists. And it just seems that we've, again, we've really kind of glossed over this because there's so many abnormal people, they've normalized abnormality. Hands down. I mean, it's really actually quite sad when we look at the state of affairs of most people, most people these days are so angry. And what I say to people is, if you are experiencing road rage, when you should be responding like this and you're responding like this, <laughs> more than likely your DHEA levels too low, your get up and go is get up and gone and you don't have the resilience. So it behooves us to kind of pay attention to where that's coming from and why the endocrine society is making, I mean, they, they made a, a very significant statement saying there's no such thing as adrenal fatigue, period, end of discussion. Well, you know, I will give them the fact that the name is probably not great. Fatigue, you know, the adrenals probably don't get fatigued, but they certainly have dysfunction. And that really is an entity. And we see it all the time. I mean, those of us in practice that use, you know, adaptogenic herbs and we use DHEA and we use, you know, pretty significant supplementation and support for the adrenals, we see dramatic changes in people within even days. And certainly if you have high cortisol, you can't sleep. You can't sleep. You need to have that cortisol come down for the body to be able to be in the rest state. And if we don't have rest, we have huge health problems on our hands. And it's so interesting to me. And you know, the reality, you know this, that medicine takes 50 years to change. And when I was very first in practice a long time ago, um, we were taken, you know, over the coals for reducing bioidentical hormones and for using, I was using at the time, triple antibiotic regime for, for ulcers. And it was just like, oh my gosh, we were called the granola doctors on the hill. <laughs> and, you know, but we were right. If we look now at everything that we were starting back then, and I was an ardent, crazy woman looking at the science and the science was there then. But for some reason, they're very, uh, and perhaps it's because social media made it big, adrenal fatigue. But the reality is stress absolutely causes issues. And I, I teach for IFM, the Institute of Functional Medicine. We just did a formula module and we had, you know, four hours or three and a half hours on the adrenals. Looking at the science, we're not talking about a thing, double blind, placebo controlled studies showing that high amounts of cortisol, which is the stress response, the fight-flight response, 
has very significant health manifestations, including changing the microbiome of the gut, changing how the thyroid functions, changing the immune response, increasing autoimmune disorders, you know, increasing heart attacks, increasing metastatic changes. Those are big deals. Yeah. And we're, for some reason, they're still saying that, you know, just, just decrease your stress. <laughs> well, people know how to do that. They learned it 20 years ago. It's just not that easy. Well, I think if you live in 2022, how can you not have stress? Oh, my the God. The state of the world has been uh, topsy-turvy for everybody. I think it's impacted everyone at different levels, but definitely a stressful time to be walking planet Earth. Absolutely. And you know what I say to my people now is this is the most important time to do ultimate self-care, to be as present in the now as you can, to get outside with your feet planted, you know, to the ground, to be acknowledging kind of your surroundings, to be grateful, because that is going to really help us have more resilience. Because if we don't have that, it's going to be very, very difficult for people because winter is coming and now we've got monkeypox and then we're going to have more COVID. And it's really finding that place within yourself of a, a quiet place. If you have a spiritual practice, use that, whatever that might be, making sure that your diet is relatively clean that you do get sugar and alcohol out of your diet to some extent. I'm not saying you shouldn't have a glass of wine, but five glasses, maybe not so much. Um, and, you know, really utilizing that what I call clean 15 and the dirty dozen. So the dirty dozen of those foods would be best to get organically. That's really what we can do right now is to be also introspective enough that we can um, really heal ourselves so that we can also then help people around us because everybody's feeling so stressed out, so stressed out. Well, I know we could have like a million discussions around adrenals, but I want to kind of hone in on something I see a lot in my practice. I see a lot of women in particular coming in that are, we'll say, weight loss resistant. And, you know, they're getting this belly weight. You know, typically when women gain weight, they get it around the hips and the buttocks area. And we're seeing more women with this sort of maybe more male belly weight. And I know that has an uh, important tie-in with, you know, cortisol. So can you talk to me a little bit about why this has become such a big problem, particularly for women? You know, I laugh with my people because I have a pretty successful weight loss program. And I laugh because sometimes they'll have partners with them and they're guys. And they look at food differently and it just comes right off. And they're so annoyed because they're being so careful. <laughs> but cortisol um, is the fight flight hormone. So if the body feels like in a state of fear in some ways, or, you know, it's fighting for its life, it's going to hoard every single calorie. And what also happens is when the adrenals are abnormal, so we're back to the adrenals again, the adrenals really support glucose regulation. So people become insulin resistant. And the most powerful thing that women can do is to really support that, which means that they don't. And, and here's where it gets into intermittent fasting. If I have somebody in my practice and they have adrenal issues, I don't recommend intermittent fasting. I really want them to have that stable blood sugar regulation until they've healed that. And then I think intermittent fasting can be fantastic. Not for everyone. Not for everyone. And in my weight loss program, I do a genetic profile. And that genetic profile helps me see some of those characteristics. And I can see in that profile if that person is better off eating breakfast. I can see if they're low fat, low carb, Mediterranean or balanced, because we're not all the same. 
And I think that's the other piece to the puzzle is that everybody's clamoring for, okay, it's keto. Well, no, it's low fat. Well, no, it's now I'm going to count my calories. And calories in, calories out is an old antiquated way of dealing with uh, food and diet. The quality of the food makes an enormous difference. Getting adequate nutrients makes a huge difference. But that belly fat comes for three reasons. Adrenal issues, hormonal issues, and blood sugar issues. And sometimes it's a combination of all three, especially in that perimenopausal time. And women hate it because they're like, who invaded my body? I don't know this body and I don't like her. So it gets frustrating. They try things. They do everything right. And then people are saying, well, you know, just cut the calories out, eat less and exercise more. And then to my office going, I'm on the treadmill or at the gym for an hour to an hour and a half every day. I can't do any more. I don't have any more time. And that's really frustrating. So sometimes it's a matter of getting that insulin resistance under control by doing adrenal support, by doing everything we just talked about with regards to self-care and doing breakfast, lunch, and dinner using adaptogenic herbs. And looking to see if you have high cortisolite, bringing it down with something similar to phosphatidylserine, and then seeing where it goes. And if that still doesn't help, um, you know, looking at a program like mine or something else, because women are so frustrated. And what I urge people to do is to find out what works for them long term so they never have to diet again. Women are sick of counting points, sick of counting calories, sick of being so careful and so good with no results. That my goal for people is to really teach them what is it that their body needs. Not everybody else's, but what is it they need? Well, I'm glad you said that. Again, I think we underestimate how individualized this is for people and that the one size fits all campaign often doesn't work. But this idea of, yeah, calories in, calories out. If you exercise more, eat less, you're just going to drop weight. And I don't know, maybe that works for some men, but that, I certainly don't see it in my part. <laughs> Sure. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, can you talk a little bit, too, about, you know, again, this effect of, you know, cortisol and how it's affecting all the other hormone systems? Because, you know, all of the hormones basically talk to each other and interact with each other. And, you know, I mean, how much is it affecting, you know, progesterone, estrogen, testosterone? Because it's all, you know, <laughs> hormonal soup. It is a hormonal, so we call it an orchestra. So the thing that's important, just one simple little thing that you need to remember, and that is that cholesterol, the mother hormone, makes estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, and DHEA. And if we have too much stress, it will bypass that. There's an enzyme called 17-lyase that says, no, 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 we're not going to make hormones. We're going to make cortisol instead. The first thing that goes down is progesterone. Certainly testosterone goes down. And estrogen goes down and DHEA goes down. And we see that often in practice when we're testing DHEA levels or DHEAS levels. And when we then add that back in and we perhaps even add some of the hormones and do the things that we need to do to help the adrenals, it makes an enormous difference with the hormonal cascade. So you're absolutely right. I mean, I think the reason that functional medicine is so powerful is that we're looking at things upstream instead of downstream. So if I see somebody coming in my office and they've got a weight, you know, they've got weight loss resistance, I'm going to be digging to find out what it is. Do they have a microbiome that's not happy and healthy? Do they have enormous stress? Are they sleeping at night? What kinds of foods are they eating? Because some people become reactive to dairy and to gluten. We just take them off that and they start to lose weight. 
So we have to get to the core piece to figure out what's going on. And that's the beauty of functional medicine. We're looking at the cause of the cause of the cause. And yes, indeed, you're absolutely right. When we have a lot of stress, the hormones are totally And whether you're young or old, it doesn't make any difference. It causes a huge cascade of the hormones so that they're really imbalanced. And women notice it. They feel it. They have, if they're still having cycles, they have PMS. They're moody. They have more menstrual cramps. And also that combination causes more inflammation because cortisol is an inflammatory hormone. Too much of it. Too much of it. And what happens then is they have inflammatory problems as well. And then if you're in perimenopause, they're coming in my office going, I don't, I, I can't even function the way I did. I can't remember things properly. I am gaining all this weight. I don't have the stamina. I can't sleep at night. I'm having hot flashes, night sweats. I don't have a libido. My libido is kind of like, for I don't mean, I don't even know how to spell sex much even think about it. <laughs> I mean, those are all the things that happen and it doesn't have to be that way ever at all. Yeah, I, I think, you know, uh, I've, I've come across this a lot in my practice too, particularly when women get in those perimenopausal, menopausal years where, you know, we're seeing, of course, hormone levels are dropping. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what you've done in your practice of helping support women with like bioidentical hormones? Because I know there's a lot of fear around it. Of course, you know, the, 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 the dark alleys say, you know, this is bad. You know, you're supposed to, your hormone levels are supposed to drop. This is a normal part of a woman's life. You know, if you take hormones, you're increasing your risk for you know, breast cancer and uterine cancer. Can you help allay some of these fears about that? Sure. So a lot of this came out of the Women's Health Initiative in 2001. And that study was done looking at 16,000 women. And they used something called PrimPro. Well, PrimPro was a synthetic form of estrogen from the urine of horses. And the progestin in there is not bioidentical to the body. So they used two synthetic products in that. In that. And what they found in that study is, oh my God, more people had breast cancer, more people had heart disease, more people had strokes, blood clots, Alzheimer's, everything else. Well, when they they took the progestin, not progesterone away, because there was no progesterone in it, they found that the breast cancer risk did decrease. Well, what's interesting is that many of the women that were in this particular study were actually 60 and older. They were not menopausal. So they were already past menopause. And we know that if you have a cell, it comes, it becomes quiescent. And if you're, you know, putting in more hormones, you're going to have a response. When they pulled the study apart, they actually found that the 50-year-olds did not contribute to the data, which showed they had more strokes, blood clots, heart disease. And that's very, very important. So now the pendulum is swung again. So it was here. And then it went here and now it's back in the middle. So we actually, you know, when we teach at IFM, we talk about green light, yellow light, red light, looking at what is the risk factor for someone of breast cancer? What is her risk factor of heart disease? Because we do know, and now we're seeing it in studies, that estrogen is somewhat cardiovascular protective. We know it also is very helpful for bones. So it's really looking as an individual to see what are your risk factors? What are we hoping to get out of the hormones? And how can we give you the least amount for the best amount of benefit? So we're not talking about the Wiley protocol here, which is, you know, was hugely kind of controversial. So we're getting levels equal to that of a 20-year-old. That's not what we're trying to do. But we are trying to do symptom relief. 
Now, what I do have to tell people though is that there are bioidentical hormones you can get at a regular pharmacy, like the patches. They have sprays and they have progesterone that is bioidentical. Progesterone in a pharmacy usually comes in uh, peanut oil, which can be a problem. And oftentimes the tablets are red or colored. <laughs> but going to a compounding pharmacy, you know, they aren't FDA approved. So people have to understand that. And many insurance companies will not pay for that kind of hormone replacement. But there are tropies, there are melts, there are creams, there are gels and progesterone along with it. Now, in terms of uterine cancer, if somebody is on a hormones, it's not going to increase their risk of uterine cancer unless they're on estrogen without progesterone. And by the way, identical hormones simply means we're using hormones that are exactly the same as our chemicals in our body. So that's where the, you know, bioidentical comes in. It's really identical to our, you know, biochemistry, which is what we want. And the Prempro and the Premarin was not and never will be. I mean, we're not a horse. Horses have big muscles and they have a lot of estrogen in them. You know, we're, we're much smaller than that. We don't need that degree of, of estrogen, nor the numbers of the estrogen, which is in, you know, Premarin as well. Oh, good. Well, thanks for sharing that. Because again, I, I it's one of these things where often if we're having that discussion, you know, somewhere their OBGYN said, don't ever use bioidenticals. They're dangerous. You don't know what's in it. You know, all these things that just, they're just not true. And again, they've been used for, you know, 50, 60 years very safely. And again, we, we don't get large scale studies on it because there's, there's honestly no money in investing in it. But for those of us practitioners who've been using it for many, many years, you know, we certainly haven't seen any significant increase in risk of reproductive cancers that, that I've ever seen in my practice anyway, too. No, absolutely not. I really haven't seen that. And, and I think the thing that's important is most of the compounding pharmacies now are extremely careful about when they quantify and they acid their batches. So it isn't back like it used to be back in the day. It's quite different than that now. And they're scrutinized as they should be, just like any pharmacy should be, but they are, you know, all, all the ones I ever use are really kind of never, ever gotten to controversy. Wonderful. Well, I want to talk a little bit too about uh, one of the things that, uh, again, I think plagues a lot of people that they don't necessarily know how to deal with is food cravings. And can you maybe talk a little bit about, you know, why do people get food cravings? Because, you know, people say, look, I had a full meal. I had my dinner. I, you know, I had the right foods. And, you know, here it is, it's nine o'clock at night and I'm just getting this food craving and I got a snack. And, and certainly if you're someone who's trying to lose weight, that's not helpful. So what's going on there? So it can be a number of things. Um, if you have an issue with an overgrowth of candida in the gut, you might crave sugar. So that would be a problem. And you would have maybe bloating and, and uh, gas with that. If you are someone, and I always ask this question, um, what are you hungry for? Because if you're somebody that's got a lot of anxiety and it's the stomach's kind of a little bit empty, then you may be craving something to kind of do that as well. We also know that if you have someone is dopamine deficient, you know, they need GABA or tyrosine looking at your neurotransmitters, those can also be a part of the puzzle. So it really depends on the individual. But yes, you know, a lot of times if you have a food sensitivity, your body is going to crave that particular food, believe it or not, until you get it out of your diet for a while. We see that with people that have sugar issues. You know, we know that about 25% of the population 
has the receptors turned on, like did mice studies, and what they found is the mice actually went to sugar before heroin and cocaine. So it turned <laughs> off the receptors in the brain. And there are some people that just can't have one bite. You know what? They start down that path and it literally takes months to go away. So it's really asking several questions. You know, I'm really hungry for food or am I hungry for something else? And when I see people that are really hungry for sugar, the question I'll ask is, is candida an issue? But I'll also ask, and sometimes parasites can do that too, by the way, that can cause people to kind of be hungry. Um, but I'll also ask the question, how much sweetness do you have in your life? Because if it's not a lot, you know, sugar is going to take the substitute of that as well. So it's, it's a multifactorial issue. And it's a real issue that some people have significant problems with. Yeah, it's interesting. I see a lot of uh, kids in my practice, particularly kids on the spectrum, and it's, you can almost tell their food sensitivities from what they crave. And Absolutely. I find it kind of a you know, nature sick joke that you would crave the thing that's actually making you worse. Causes neural inflammation, gut inflammation, kids get behavior problems, and they crave. I have kids come in, they eat four foods, and we find they're sensitive to all four foods, and they tend to be, you know, very simple, complex carbohydrate kind of things. Yep. <laughs> no, absolutely. But the beauty is, is if you're able to get them off those four foods, they then have 25 foods they can eat. Um, but it, you know, it takes some, some time to be able to do that. And then also the neurotransmitters and the gut microbiome and, you know, all of that. I always think of those kids as having these little bugs inside. They're saying, I want more, I want more. Because <laughs> they really do crave that inside. Well, I, I think it just kind of proves once again that, you know, all health starts in the gut. I think Hippocrates <laughs> said that. And you know, every chronic illness has some tie-in with our gut and certainly our gut microbiome. So absolutely, feeding a healthy gut feeds good health. Hands down, no question. Yeah. So before we close out today, uh, can you just share with us, I know you've got several programs that you work with, but do you have a specific program you'd like to talk about, particularly for you know women who've been struggling to lose weight? Sure. So uh, several years ago, I was very, uh, it was very obvious to me that I need to do something different. So I developed a program called Drop 20 and 6. So I developed a homeopathic drop that suppresses appetite. So it's very similar to the effect of HCG, but there's no HCG in it and no caffeine. And what it does is it causes the body to use body fat for calories. So they lose 20 pounds in six weeks. People that are in 12-week program, it's 35 to 50 pounds. And I had somebody on the phone the other night who actually had stomach uh, bypass, and she gained the weight back, and she's lost 32 pounds in 10 weeks. It feels amazing. Wow. The quality of the food is great. And then I also have 60 hours of, of coaching with that program, and then I also have um, a genetic profile that I do. So I can tell them what to eat on the other side because I say to them, I don't ever want you dieting again. I really want you to feel safe and comfortable with food. So let's teach you. Great. Well, it sounds like a fantastic program. So we'll drop the link in the show notes for if you guys are awesome. to check out that program. Because I know, again, I think especially the last two years, a lot of people became couch potatoes. They weren't as active as before. And, it's, and again, the stress has been just terrible for everybody. So here's a great way to kickstart your health. Uh, so I definitely check out the program. So Marcel, I really appreciate uh, you spending time with me today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Thanks.